Welcome to the second season of the Gutsy Health Podcast with Shanique Roney and Gina Warfel, where we share uncomplicated, practical, and affordable wellness education so you can be a self-healing champion. This episode is brought to you by the Gutsy Health Membership Program, a program that gives you inexpensive tools and resources to heal your mind, body, and soul. Visit our website at mygutsyhealth.com. Okay, you guys. Welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. I have my wonderful co-host, Gina Warfel. She's back. She was at Burning Man (laughs) for the past week. And maybe we'll have some time in future podcasts to talk about it, but she's now back and uh, we'll have a consistent schedule. I missed you, Gina. And and (laughs) I really did. And then we have our guest with us, Megan Hansen. She is a dietitian and she has a phenomenal, phenomenal story. And we're going to be talking about metabolic ecosystems today. What the heck is a metabolic ecosystem? Why is it important? It has a lot to do with weight loss because a lot of people are having a hard time these days, just losing weight. And I always say like weight loss shouldn't be hard. It actually should be really easy. And so I believe Megan is going to help us unpack why this is. And she has a pretty phenomenal story as well. So Megan, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have a cool dietitian on the podcast with us because I'll be honest, like we have to vet a lot of dietitians because there's a lot of brainwashing in the industry and that don't really resonate with our messaging. And it's funny because if people haven't heard the story, then I'm going to tell it again. But for people that do know the story, I'm so sorry. When I met Gina, Gina's a dietitian. And when she told me that, I was like, oh, you're a dietitian. And she's like, no, 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 no. I'm one of the good ones. And I'm like, what does that mean exactly? What is that you're a good dietitian? Because I need to make sure we're speaking the same language here, one based in like science and not science that's been pushed by fast food industry. So what kind of dietitian are we talking about? <laughs> and it turns out she's actually one of the cool dietitians too. So we got two cool dietitians on here. <laughs> Megan, welcome. Tell everyone who you are and why you have this amazing story and this amazing platform about metabolic ecosystems. Yeah. Hi, ladies. Thank you. I think that there are a lot more of us, the cool dietitians popping (laughs) up. So I have a lot of faith. (laughs) So my story is when I, back when I became a dietitian, I'm hoping there's other dietitians listening to this that can relate to this. I mean, I'm not hoping it, you know, a personal standpoint, but I think I have a lot of conversations with dietitians who who have kind of been there, done that. And I don't know, I'd love to hear from you on this too, Gina, but when I remember at the end of schooling aspects, I was a senior and we're all in a classroom, everyone that was like in my class, you know, the class of 2008. And my teacher asked us all to put our heads down and raise our hands if we felt like we had either like an eating disorder or disordered eating or bad relationship with food. And then told us afterwards that over 50% of the class had raised their hands. Mm-hmm. And And that was so validating for me because I was like, oh, I thought I was the only one. Like, I thought that this was something that I was hiding from everyone because I had actually developed bulimia throughout my four years. And it started back when I was a freshman and I just, I needed to lose like five pounds. And I was using all the things that we learned in school to achieve that. It's 60 to 90 minutes of cardio a day, 1200 calorie diet. And of course it worked at first until it didn't. And this is everybody's story, right? And most people, let's say 95%, at least people's story is when mm-hmm. they start creating this math equation with their body. And then eventually things are a lot of control for one reason or another. And oftentimes I find that it's this obsession that we get around food and our bodies. And then of course, 
what starts to happen over time is we are eating super low calorie. We are over-exercising. We're causing all this stress on our bodies, which I had no idea that things like stress and sleep and inflammation and gut health, like we didn't learn about any of that and how all of those aspects of our lifestyle affect our metabolic health and our weight. So are you thinking dietitians that, don't learn that? Yeah, we don't, we don't learn any, I mean, oh, um, what I learned all of that after I oh, became a dietitian. Yeah. It's like, I, I can relate them. to everything that you're saying again. Like you learn like calorie plans and how the body works and you learn about managing diseases with diet, but mm-hmm. you don't really learn about just everything she's saying, the gut microbiome, all of that all yeah. came after schooling. Wow. And no, and, like that microbiome, I don't think, I didn't even know what that was. I mean, I don't think we touched on that at all. What? No, yeah, I don't know. I don't think we did either. Really? Not that I remember. I mean, like I said, this was 2008. So it was a minute ago, but yeah, I hope that more programs are teaching that now I get kind of a mixed response. When I ask other dietitians who are newer, there are some, it just seems like, no, they're teaching the exact same thing. And then there's others who I feel like they're you know, a little more progressive, but for the most part, yeah, it's when you have a, you have a patient come in, you determine their BMI. If their BMI is over 25, then you put them on a reduced calorie diet, typically 500 to 750 calorie deficit, or I think it was even a thousand when I, back then, I think they've maybe lowered a little bit anyways. And that's it. Like that's, and then you send them on their way. And if it doesn't work, then it's likely because the client is actually under-reporting what they're eating or they're lying to you. And that's it. End of story. Um, it's actually that the body's a mathematical equation. Like that blows my mind. That's how we believe bodies are. It's, it's just calories in, calories out. And it, nothing could be further from the truth, right? Like it's absolutely a lie. Like yeah. the body, you can't. It's kind of an insult to our, you know, our evolution and our biology, you know. <laughs> It would be that simple. And to all the women who say I'm following the plan and it's not working, like how many women have been gaslighted and men, you know what I mean? Where it's just like you said, oh, you're not recording it properly. And it's just, I'm like, man, are we not tired of that? (laughs) Like so many people, that's their story. So keep going, keep going, Megan. This is, you know, graduated, went through, did my internship or residency. And I actually never went and got a job as a dietitian. I just felt so free. Well, I felt like a fraud. I mean, I was really struggling. I had gained about 20 pounds over the, you know, this course of like four or five years. And I just, I was so out of control. I could not get a grasp on my weight. And I thought, this is something I'm obsessed with. I'm thinking about it all day, every day. I'm a really high achiever. If I set my mind to something, I will achieve. It doesn't matter. But this is the one thing that I just couldn't do. Yeah. And I resonate with all of that. <laughs> yeah. It's very they, same experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there are so many of us. And so the weird thing is what eventually happened. I think I read this in like fitness magazine, which is (laughs) sort of, but it's reading that we should be lifting weights instead of doing cardio, something along those lines. Now, you know, it's better for our, we can actually lose more weight doing that. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to try this one thing because I've been trying the same thing over and over again Mm -hmm. for years now. And it's clearly not working. And I started lifting weights and luckily I was in my twenties. So I think I hadn't any damage I had done to my metabolism was very reversible at that point. I think as we get older, this becomes more difficult, but the weight just started coming off. And I was like, Oh, this is weird. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What? This doesn't make any sense. 
I'm burning less calories during my workouts. How is this, you know? And I think it was at that point where I just became obsessed with what else (laughs) did I learn in school that wasn't true or didn't fully translate. And that just started like years of research and reading and digging into, you know, just, yeah, reading books, reading literature, reading, just looking at nutrition and health and weight loss and metabolism and all of those things completely differently. I'm sorry, as a dietitian, you got your degree and all the valuable information, well, not all, but a lot of this valuable information you learned on your own time outside of school. And this is information that is accessible to everyone. You don't have to be a dietitian in order to learn this information or a doctor, for instance, people think, oh no, this information is only exclusive to doctors. No, like the trainings I go to and Gina go to and Megan go to this, like doctors go to that. Right. And like, and so it's like, we're all learning these things outside of schooling and you have the right to learn it too right? Like you don't have or to find have a practitioner who thinks differently too. Right. You know, some people can't dedicate the space to going to conferences and doing the learning. I will have to say that even though dietetics programs tend to be way behind, I learned how to read research. I learned basic human physiology. Yes. I learned the foundation of like how the body works. And then the responsibility fell on me to keep learning and keep pursuing mm-hmm. knowledge and growing and learning. And, and I think whether you're pursuing that for yourself or you find the guidance of somebody who thinks different and that are willing to keep learning is really important too, because we all can't be experts at everything. I don't want to go learn how to change the oil in my car, but I want to find somebody who cares Mm -hmm. to learn. Right. Right. But I want to emphasize is that like this alternative information isn't exclusive to people that have been in school, right? Like everyone, if they want to learn, they have the ability to access more information. And so anyways, keep going, Megan. Yeah. Well, so eventually I, decided to, so I had like kind of a quarter life crisis in between jobs. And I decided to start a blog because I still was really passionate about this. I mean, it was something that, you know, I had, I had kept it off. I was healing my relationship with food at that point. I had a pretty decent relationship with food and I thought, I want to get this out there. You know, I don't really know how, but I started a Tumblr account. <laughs> this was like six or seven years ago. Um, that eventually turned into just a blog where I wrote about, essentially just how to simplify nutrition and how to stop focusing so much on the math equation and the calories and to start focusing more on good quality food, blood sugar control, building lean muscle tissue, sleep, stress, gut health, inflammation, all these things that play into our metabolic health and how our body, whether or not our body decides to burn or store fat. And eventually I started seeing one-on-one clients. And what I found was that every single client that came to me, literally everyone, they were all women. They were all different ages. They all knew what to do. I'm like doing air quotes right now. They all knew what to do. They were all tracking their macros. They were all counting their calories. They were all exercising. It wasn't like I had to start from scratch and say like, you know, this is what healthy food looks like. Like they knew it, but it was almost like they had the ingredients to the recipe, but they didn't have the directions. They had no idea how their bodies worked. Like they were just plugging numbers into a calculator and saying, why is this not working for me? And so I started taking them, let's take a step back and let's do some education around how your body burns and stores fat, 
how does your blood sugar play into this? How do calories play a role? Because they do, but they are not the most important thing to be focusing on. So here are the things that we are going to focus on. And you know, brought in what I call the the metabolic ecosystem, which is basically six elements, which is blood sugar control, lean muscle tissue, movement, sleep, stress, and gut health. And so we would just go through like week by week, each one and talking about the physiology or the biology behind each element and how it affects your overall metabolism. And just by educating, I found that just by educating and not, not telling them what to not giving them a blueprint, not giving them a meal plan, but just educating them completely changed the way that they viewed food and their body. It was like, it was like taking their power back over food that had been controlling them for so many years. And they were able to make their own decisions about what to eat. So knowing that protein is the most satiating macronutrient, like let's make sure that we're getting enough protein at every meal, knowing that fat helped control blood sugar. Let's make sure we're getting some fat at every meal. And being able to choose like, yeah, I'm going to eat, I'm going to get the nachos tonight because that's what I really want to eat, but I'm going to make sure there's chicken added to it. I'm not going to overdo all the fat and toppings. I'm going to be selective. I'm going to add some veggies to it. Maybe I'm going to get a side salad to add in some fiber. You know what I mean? Just being able to make those decisions themselves to do what is right for their bodies based on their goals, but also they're still enjoying food and they're not feeling deprived and they're not going home and binging later because they were actually able to eat something that was satisfying. And then of course, on top of it, all the other elements, which I can dive into too. Um, I know this is stuff that you guys talk about on your podcast all the time, but I think having those other elements for them to focus on as well, also so freeing because it was, it didn't just come down to what they were eating every day, you know, and being able to focus on something like sleep, for example, okay, well, if I'm only getting six hours of sleep a night and I'm not seeing any results, maybe this is why. Maybe this is why I have cravings all day long. Maybe this is why I'm overeating because you know, teaching them the link between their appetite and teaching them about their hunger hormones mm-hmm. and how sleep affects those things. So it's kind of like connecting the dots and I call it an ecosystem because they all affect each other. They all, this is not an independent system. It's a totally dependent system. And I think it gives us more freedom to be able to view our metabolism and our weight loss attempts at looking at more than just diet and exercise. Let's go through those six parts of the ecosystem and kind of give like everyone a little crash course, because I love, you know, I was just reading something today where someone else was reiterating how, if you want to lose weight and manage your blood sugar, you actually need to build more lean muscle because lean muscle is a reservoir for glucose, right? Like it, the more muscle you have, the, the higher your metabolism gets, the more you burn even while you're sleeping. And so like, let's go through what is number one that yeah. we teach people in the ecosystem. Let's unpack each one. Yep. So number one is blood sugar control. And yes, there is more to nutrition and eating a healthy diet than just controlling your blood sugar. But I like the blood sugar control because I think when we have tight blood sugar control, we feel so much better. So good. Yes. Yeah. And you're going to just, you're going to choose better foods if you're focused on blood sugar control. So again, it's less about saying you need to only eat super clean, like chicken, broccoli, whatever, Mm -hmm. and saying, let's just focus on controlling your blood sugar. And by doing that, you are going to make better options and you're also going to have more flexibility in your diet. 
I just think is really, really important because, you know, the seventh element, I would say that's kind of like an honorary element is your mind. I think mindset has plays a huge role in your ability to not just lose weight, but also maintain it. So we start with blood sugar control. And of course, controlling blood sugar is also going to help support our hunger and satiety hormones, leptin and ghrelin. It is going to support appropriate balance of insulin and glucagon and all the other hormones that are being released in our bodies that are helping our bodies either burn or store fat. So if we have really steady blood sugar, we're releasing less insulin and insulin of course is a storage hormone. And I do think insulin gets kind of a bad rap. I am not anti-carbs in any way. I'm just pro eating carbohydrates with protein, fat, and fiber that are going to keep your blood sugar steady. You can actually, you can eat carbs at every meal and keep pretty steady blood sugar throughout the day, as long as your body is metabolically flexible enough to do that. And that is you know, why we focus so much on blood sugar control, because the more you can focus on blood sugar control, the more metabolically flexible your body will become uh, and will be able to handle more carbohydrates. And again, so that's going to go into the second element, which is going to be building lean muscle tissue. And you're right. Like our lean muscle tissue is the biggest reservoir of being able to, uh, it's the biggest receiver of carbohydrates in our body. So I want to kind of go back to step one first, because I think what do like, for instance, off the top of my head, people are like, well, how do I know if I don't have good blood sugar control, brain fog, inability to like recall words, exhaustion in the afternoon, in the mornings, you know, like you're just really tired. You have a heart, like you find you have to go for caffeine, right? Like that's, these are signs that your blood sugar is just kind of all over the place because a lot of people, especially if we're eating the standard American diet and we don't know anything about like metabolism and insulin control and blood sugar control, a lot of people go from high blood sugar to low blood sugar to high blood sugar to low blood sugar. And that's going to really, really stress all their body. That's going to have their body produce more cortisol to help them like get through the highs and the lows. And so the biggest things that I see, and maybe you can add a few more things, you guys that I'm missing is that they're just like, their energy is just going to be all over the place. They're relying on caffeine and their brain just doesn't feel like itself, right? Like their brain, like they're just tired, brain fog, like can't well, recall. Also, like if you're having trouble losing weight and not yes. snacking, if you can't go without snacking, that's a sign too that you're just yeah. constantly yeah. trying to manage that blood sugar. Right. And another thing too. Yeah, that was I love that. And what's interesting, and this is one of your pillars actually, and this is how they all intertwine. When Tristan, my husband, um, he, just for you to know, Megan, he passed away from cancer a year ago. So we monitored his health really closely. He would track his blood sugar in the mornings. And when he had poor sleep, his blood sugar was through the roof in the mornings. Like it was atrocious. And so that's how important sleep is to control your blood sugar. And so a lot of people, like you said, like, oh, I can't lose weight. It's like, are you sleeping well? Do you have deep REM sleep? Is your body really, really going into that deep relaxation state? Because if it isn't, your blood sugar is going to be crap all day long. And so, so I just love that connection. I just wanted to just let people know this is how you can see it in your life. If your blood sugar is all over the place, a lot of people eat high carb stuff at dinner time and they're not sleeping well that night because they have blood sugars up and down. Their body is trying to manage all that carbohydrate right? And so they're not sleeping well. And therefore that feeds into more blood sugar dysregulation in the next day. And so it's just this like vicious cycle. So is there anything else you guys want to add to that before we move on to deep dive into step two, lean muscle? 
I just had a blood sugar monitor and I can co-sign on everything you just said, because it was, if I had like a high carb dinner or I had maybe some like, you know, more carby snacks after dinner, it was like all night long. It just, it wouldn't come down. And then same thing with poor sleep. There were a few nights that I had really poor sleep and I had high blood sugars all night long. And then like exceptionally high in the morning when I woke up. So yeah, yeah. Right on board with that. So cool. So step two, lean muscle, as we said, the more muscle we have, the more we consume glucose and the more we stabilize our sugar. What else can you share about that as far as what's important for everyone to know? Yeah. So lean muscle tissue, it is going to, it's the one thing that's really directly going to increase our basal metabolic rate. So if you want to just increase your, how many calories you're burning per day at rest, laying around, doing nothing, sleeping, watching Netflix, put on some lean muscle tissue. And, you know, so taking the focus off of, I need to go out and exercise to burn a whole bunch of calories and placing it on. What can I do to burn calories all day long? I think that's much more fun approach. I think most people are more drawn to, yeah, like I want to burn more calories sitting around doing nothing. So, but in order that you got to get to the gym and lift some weights. Also just being able to handle more carbohydrates, the more lean muscle you have, the more your body will be able to handle more carbohydrates in the diet. And I think that that really is the ultimate goal. I mean, I have nothing against really low carb diets, ketogenic diets, if that's something that you want to do, but most of my clients don't want to do that. They want to eat like Mm -hmm. normal people, you know, they want to be able to come out to eat and eat the bread or eat the pasta when they want to. And in order to do that, your body to be able to handle it, you have to be what we say, you know, metabolically flexible. Mm -hmm. And so the path to that really is paying attention to your blood sugar control, putting on lean muscle tissue. Well, and can we talk about the deficit of actually doing a lot of cardio? Because people will start to do cardio to lose weight. They'll lose a little bit of weight, but it's so stressful on their bodies because they're actually not, maybe I can use the term metabolically flexible in that moment, or they don't have the stamina, or maybe I should just say the adrenal control to actually handle that amount of cardio on their body. And so it produces more stress hormone in their body. And they eventually just start having blood sugar spikes and dips and spikes and dips and tons of cortisol pumping through their body. And then they start to gain weight, trying to lose weight by doing a lot of cardio. And so I always tell people, I'm like, just stop the cardio for a second. Let your butt, because cardio is really hard on people. People don't do it well. They just, they're just like, all in. Right. And it's like, no, you got to do it in little increments. And I die when people are like, yeah, I'm doing cardio for like an hour to two hours a day. And I'm like, what, why do you hate your adrenals so much? Right. And so really like what's less stressful on the body is gaining muscle and not stressing out your heart, you know, and I use that very deliberately. Don't stress out your heart, like do a little bit of cardio, maybe every other day, you know, everyone's different, but just like using cardio to lose weight will actually, it's a really poor strategy. It's a terrible strategy and it will backfire terribly. It will backfire and you will just find that you can't get out of bed after a few months. You'll be like, what happened? So Mm -hmm. let's not do that. Yeah. Well, there's the stress piece, but it's a double whammy because you also are dealing with uh, metabolic adaptation. So if you're actually Mm -hmm. someone who goes out and goes for a run, and this is what I would go for like a five mile run every single day. And I thought, oh, I'm burning like 500 calories Mm -hmm. over time. You're not, you're burning maybe half of that, if that, because your body starts to adapt. It's like, because if you think about it, we're burning calories every day to support our organs and to support our breathing and to support our heart beating. So if we put ourselves in such a huge calorie deficit every day, at some point, the body's going to have to be like, 
okay, I need more calories to function. So it's either going to quote unquote, force you to overeat by really driving your hunger, or it's going to downregulate and it's going to say, okay, well, you used to require 2000 calories a day. Now you only require 1400 calories a day because we need to be able to keep you alive. And so that is often, that's certainly one source of weight loss resistance that I see is people think, you know, I'm only eating 1400 calories a day. Why am I not losing weight? And they think they're in a calorie deficit and they're not anymore. Their body is literally only burning that many calories a day. So then they just have to go lower and lower and lower. And of course we know that's not sustainable. We know that's not good. And eventually that's going to backfire and it's going to actually cause weight gain because it's incredibly stressful on the body. Well, the more you keep cutting those calories, the more you keep cutting those nutrients that your mitochondria need. I mean, our listeners have heard us talk about mitochondria mm-hmm. nonstop, right? And like, if that's the thing that takes your food and turns it into energy instead of store fat, the more that you cut your calories, the more you're cutting those nutrients that actually drive your metabolism. And so that's why I really appreciate your approach is to not keep cutting less and less and less calories in food, but more and more nutrient dense foods. And that's just going to drive up your metabolism instead of just keep slowing those engines down. Like it totally makes sense. Yeah. And it just goes back to, it's not as simple as calories in calories out. And it's absolutely that we have been preaching that for so many years Mm -hmm. that it's, it's just, it's in, you know, all, of our doctors, and I shouldn't say all, that's not true, but the majority of our doctors that are giving weight loss advice to patients are just repeating this. And it doesn't seem to matter how much research comes out. And there, and I think what's really amazing though, because I am an optimist, is I've been seeing so much more research coming out recently that against the calories in, calories out model. And I think people are starting to kind of say like, hmm, mm-hmm. you know, maybe this isn't working. Right. Can we also just say though, too, that calories are important. Totally. Like can't, we also can't like, you know, just in case for anyone who's thinking that we're like, you know, calories are a scam, like calories are a real thing. If you eat excess calories, you will gain weight too. (laughs) Yes, it's true. Yes. Let's not forget that as well. No, no, absolutely not. It's definitely important because yeah, Yeah. that's something that I'll get, you know, like the trainers will come after me and say, you know, that you have to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight. And I say, yeah, no, (laughs) but, but what is a calorie deficit? How many calories are you actually burning every day? Do you know, you think it's 2000, is it 1500? Is it a thousand? Like that's the stuff that we have to look at. It's, it's just so much more complicated than just simply plugging some numbers into an online calculator, unless you are really metabolically healthy in case those calculators can be accurate, but guess how many of us are metabolically healthy? I think recently I saw something like only like 8% of America. I'm not sure how accurate that is, so but Joel it's- Furman, Dr. Joel Furman, we interviewed him. And I think he, the number he gave us was like 96.6% of Americans are unhealthy, right? Yeah. It, it's something like that. I've seen it's different numbers, but it's number. right around that 95 mark. And mm-hmm. it's crazy. Yeah. Like we're not healthy people. <laughs> like it's very sad. So, yeah. So That's why I just like to take the focus away from calories. It is important. We need to come back to that, but let's focus on some of these other things. 
like micronutrients. Like are your calories packed with micronutrients, right? Like, are you getting the biggest bang for your buck? Are you eating hundred calories of just carbs or is it like hundred calories of carbs and B vitamins and vitamin C and like antioxidants and all these other things? Like, can we get the biggest bang for our buck when it comes to our calories? That's what I always try to tell people that it's actually not about the macronutrients. It's about the micronutrients. So if our calories contain a lot of micronutrients, like you're probably going to be in good shape going back to mitochondria and like ATP production. We always think of just, you know, oxygen and glucose makes it. But if you're in the Gutsy Academy, Gina has this lecture where it shows you actually, no, when you look at all these metabolic circles, you need all these vitamins and all these nutrients. So it's not just calories in and oxygen in and ATP out. It's oxygen Mm -hmm. and glucose plus a bunch of antioxidants and vitamins and minerals. Like you have to have that. Otherwise your production of ATP stops. But why don't we talk about the micronutrients, right? Like why are the micronutrients, the middle child that gets neglected? (laughs) Gina's a middle child. I'm sorry. I I, I can relate. I can relate. (laughs) It's me. It's me hard. I I can relate. So anyways, micronutrients, macronutrients, like we got to focus more on micronutrients and nutrient density, nutrient dense calories. All right. So what's number three? What's number three, Megan? Number three is movement. So I actually separate the lean muscle tissue and the movement just because I think lean muscle tissue is super important. Get into the gym, lift your weights. Movement being, we just need to move more. And this is, it's not just a matter of getting your steps in, although that is super duper important. It's also a matter of just like moving around throughout the day. Like I'm sitting in a chair right now. So for example, what I'll do is I'll sit in the chair for an hour. I always have a, I don't know, I'm on my phone. And then once that alarm goes off, I'll change positions in some way. So maybe it's standing up, maybe it's sitting on a ball, maybe it's sitting on the floor. Sitting on the floor is very underrated. Maybe it is just like dropping to the floor and doing some stretches for a few minutes in between calls. But when we hear, you know, I've probably heard this, but that sitting is the new smoking. And I think a lot of people think of that as just, okay, sitting is the new smoking. But really what that means is staying sedentary in one position (laughs) all day long is the new smoking. So, you know, being able to move our bodies and move our muscles and move around all day long so that 10 years from now, Mm -hmm. 20 years from now, we're able to continue these habits that we're putting in place today, like going to the gym and lifting weights and going on a hike. Because when we look at our parents or our grandparents who can't move around and do those things because they're so stiff and because they have been sitting for 30 years at their desk, that's what I'm looking for. When I talk about movement, I'm looking almost just into the future and being able to control our weight and our metabolism and our health in the future and having the ability to do that. And that has to start now with movement. Yeah, it does. It really does. I'm sorry. I'm going back into the lean muscle thing and the movement and aging. Like when we do those two things, we move. And when we gain muscle, like women, we have an issue with osteoporosis when we go through menopause. If you put muscle, if you're doing weight training, that actually builds bone, right? So the movement and weight training, like you have much less chance. It's actually more effective than taking a calcium supplement. And so as you are talking about like, you know, the anti-aging and all that stuff, like these things are really, really important, especially for women to maintain their bone mass and for hormone health too, even like weight training, muscle mass, hormones, like it's so important. So thank you for bringing those points up. What is number four? Number four would be sleep. And so we've talked about that a little bit, but 
course, sleep control. Getting enough sleep is really important, not just for our metabolic health, but our emotional health, our personality, <laughs> the way that we are able to control stress. I truly believe sleep sleep is at the top for me. I mean, I think when I get a client who is struggling in all of these areas, wow. the first place we start, we definitely hit on blood sugar control because I think that's like an easy win. Like, let's just get your blood sugar control. We can do that fairly easily, but then it's also sleep because sleep is going to drip down into your app regulation, the types of foods that you want to eat every day. Mm-hmm. Most people that are sleep deprived aren't like, Oh, I'm just like really craving chicken today. You know, that's <laughs> And we know that uh, sleep deprivation leads to eating. Anyway, I've seen anywhere from four to 500 extra calories a day. It affects our stress levels, the way that we're able to manage stress, which is the next element here of the ecosystem. It affects how much we move every day. It affects whether or not we're going to make it to the gym. And, you know, truly, if you're undersleeping, you shouldn't be going to the gym and lifting weights. Yeah. It's not really going to do much. So, we're rejuvenating our entire body, every cell in our bodies while we're sleeping at night. And it's just, I think if we can get our sleep right, it will trickle down into the rest of that metabolic ecosystem. And not to say that we don't ever have to think about any of those other things, but it's going to make it a whole lot easier. Right. Well, 80% of our healing happens when we're sleeping actually. And so part of like decreasing stress on your body, because any kind of stress is going to increase blood glucose and cortisol. Right. So when we are sleeping and we're going into that deep restorative state, like we're healing and repairing. And it's interesting too. I was listening to Dr. Jolene Brighton on Instagram. This was like two or three years ago. And she mentioned that nine out of 10 women's hormonal problems stem from poor sleep. And so she said sleep is one of the core pillars when it comes to hormone health and everything about weight gain and weight loss, like stems from hormonal imbalances. Remember cortisol, is that a hormone? Is that classified as a hormone? Yeah. Yeah. Stress hormone. It's a stress hormone. Thank you. Oh my gosh. For some reason I had a brain fart, you know, like that's a hormone, you know, insulin, that's a hormone. Right. And so just right there when those, when glucose, I mean, when insulin and cortisol are high or low, that's going to directly affect your other sex hormones and your weight gain, weight loss. And so like, we got to really prioritize sleep. It's going to change our mood. It's going to change our ability to heal and repair. And like you said, that changes our ability to actually get into the gym and do the other things, all the other self-care stuff, like, you know, putting on muscle and movement. Exactly. Yeah. So then that leads into stress, which just kind of overlaps with what we just talked about. And your body doesn't decipher between physiological stress and psychological stress. So this could be stress that is happening within your body through inflammation, autoimmune disease. It could be stress from over-exercising. It could Mm -hmm. be stress, received stress, you know, marital stress, kids stress, <laughs> job stress. Like how many people have like jobs that they just hate? Oh, job stress, right? all of it. Yeah. Like a lot of people, like you said, marital stress or just being a mom stress, you know, like we don't realize that like stress has actually become our new normal. Right. And it's like, this is fine. Everything's fine. And then they're like, why do I have health issues? Why do I have weight gain? It's like, because you've normalized so much stress in your life and you've completely deprived yourself of any bandwidth to heal and take care of yourself. Yes. And that's primarily why that's part of the ecosystem right there. We've got to take care of our stress levels. And I think when I talk about stress with clients, it it is all of those things. Of course, it's the physiological stress. It's making sure that we're not waking up at 4am after five hours of sleep and going to the gym. 
and working out for an hour and, you know, explaining to them why that is actually counterproductive, but also just the, I will call it perceived stress in our minds and just daily stressors in our life. We can't control those all the time. Sometimes we can. So like, let's take a look at those. Let's take a look at the low hanging fruit and see what we can eliminate, but then also how can we control that stress within our minds through meditation, breath work, journaling, find what it is that works for you, but it's got to be something that is a part of your daily hygiene practice. Mm. And everyone listening to this podcast has probably heard that. They're like, I know, I know, I know. I cannot emphasize enough how important this is. Mm. I mean, you just will not heal with all of that perceived stress going on in your life and just ignoring it and saying, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's not fine. (laughs) Um, Your body just, it won't, it just won't heal. And it's also going to bleed over into your sleep more than likely for most of us. It does. And our quality of sleep when we have high stress, I know for me personally, I'm not someone that lays in bed and like ruminates on stuff and thinks about stuff and can't sleep. But during high stress periods of my life, I just don't sleep. I, I, I get insomnia and I'm laying there and I'm like, why? You know, I'm not thinking about anything, but just something that happens in your body. I'm honestly not quite sure what it is. Probably just your nervous system, probably like keeping you awake and staying elevated. And obviously stress as well will bleed over into your diet and the choices that you make with food. Typically when we're stressed, we tend to go towards highly satiate or not highly satiating, excuse me, highly palatable foods Mm -hmm. because the body as it's releasing cortisol is the brain is then seeking something to calm that cortisol down. And it's looking for, you know, maybe a dopamine hit, something to just to calm it down and to make you feel good and make your, you know, bring your system down. And so whether that's peanut butter or ice cream or chips, all those things that make us feel really good in the moment that are highly craveable, highly palatable foods. And it kind of feels like we oftentimes when like a stress binge, it's like, well, that's what it is. It's like a stress binge. It's not like, oh, I'm going to have a few chips and feel better. It's like, I can't stop eating. And so often we find that like binges are linked with stress and that's why, you know, it's just, it's the brain looking to calm itself from Mm -hmm. all of this perceived stress in the body and the brain. It's self-soothing. That's exactly what it's doing. It's like, like you said, it's that quick hit of like, oh, there's joy right now in this moment. And it's in the form of ice cream or chips. And we beat ourselves up about it. Right. And we're like, oh, I'm craving all these foods. But like, if we can actually reframe that and be like, oh, this is a self-soothing mechanism. My body's actually trying to help me feel better and, and soothe me in this moment. Like how kind and sweet is that? Right. It has like a whole course on conquering cravings. And she talks all about this and like, it's coming out again soon, Gina, isn't it? Like, We'll put notes. We'll put awesome. it in the show notes when you're conquering cravings and your mastering blood sugar courses are coming out, but they're coming out in October and November and they are legit. You guys, these classes are <laughs> phenomenal. And I think everyone who has weight issues should strongly consider them because they come from science and mindfulness perspectives. And it all has to deal with like stress and, you know, the brain chemistry and the science behind that. So another thing, can I add one more thing to the stress thing? the stress piece is a lot of times, I just see this a lot in consults. When you mention stress, people are like, okay, I hear about the stress, but what supplement can I take? Uh, And for some reason, people try to push away their stress. And when we actually tell them this is the problem, they'll be like, okay, when my kids are in school and when this has happened and when then I will deal with it. And like, I want people to be mindful of how you put yourself in the back burner all the time. And you've normalized this stress and you are in choice to 
like keep going through the stress. And if you're one of those people that use that kind of language, okay, when these things line up, then I'll deal with my stress. It's never going to happen. And so don't try to outsource your healing through a supplement or through a treatment. Like you have to hit this stress. Now you have to take care of yourself. Now it's the most loving act you could ever do for yourself. But for some reason, people put it on the back burner all the time, all the freaking time. So don't do that. All right. What's next? Okay. And then finally, got it. Which, you know, all these, yeah, everything that we've talked about up to this point, when we're eating poor diet, when we're over exercising, when we're over stressing, when we're under sleeping, these all affect our microbiome, mm-hmm. right? And, and having poor gut health will eventually leak its way out into your entire body. It can cause mm-hmm. system wide inflammation. And yeah. when the body is inflamed, guess what? Mm-hmm. You're not losing weight because, you know, your body is always trying to keep you alive. I always like to say people kind of think that they're like, you hear people say things like, oh, my body hates me. Mm. No, your body loves you. Yeah. Body is always trying to keep you alive. It's always trying to maintain balance. And while it may seem like it hates you, it's because it's trying to tell you something. Yeah. And so when you have inflammation and you're not able to lose weight, it's just because the body is just focused on keeping, like trying to put that fire out. And everything else gets put on the back burner. And oftentimes, it's not always the case, but oftentimes inflammation in the body is linked back to poor gut health. They did some research with the microbiome in rats and they took the microbiome from obese people and put them in sterilized rat guts, right? Like, so you can actually breed rats to have no microbiome. It's ridiculous. And so they took the microbiome of obese people and the microbiome of healthy people and put them in the rats. And literally the rats that had the microbiome of obese people became obese rats. And then the rats or mice, rats or mice, I don't know, some kind of species, but the rats that had the lean microbiome from lean people, they stayed lean. And so your microbiome is direct, like that is, you know, correlation doesn't equal causation, but that's a very, very big correlation right there that Mm -hmm. shows us, you know, when you have certain species that are more prevalent in your gut, your metabolism is actually going to change. There's lots of research that surrounds this. I actually saw another really interesting interesting study that was in humans and with a certain makeup of healthy microbiome, people actually released more of the calories, like more calories went through their body or when they had an unhealthy microbiome, more of those microbiome harvested more of the calories out of the food. So you might be eating the same food. And if you have an unhealthy microbiome, you're actually getting more calories out of the food than someone with a healthy microbiome. Isn't that crazy? That makes a lot of sense, actually, because if you're eating the standard American diet, which is really high calorie and low fiber, you are eating more bacteria to metabolize that food. And so they're the more prevalent bacteria that feasts off of high calorie foods that you're eating. And so they're thriving, they're proliferating. And so you then crave more American type food, fast food type foods, right? And versus healthy bacteria, which feed off of fiber, right? And so when you're eating more fiber foods, not only are you breeding more of that bacteria that feeds off of fiber, but the breakdown of that fiber turns into short chain fatty acids, which turns into butyrate, which actually is very anti-inflammatory, modulates the immune system and heals the gut lining. And so it's a win all around when you're eating 
like high fiber foods. And of course you're going to be a more lean person because high fiber foods actually have less calories, have all these health benefits, have all these anti-aging and anti-inflammatory benefits versus the other, the former bacteria and diet. So it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like the microbiome is an organ system in itself and it's so complex and it's so beautiful. And we only know about like eight to 10% of it, right? Like it's crazy. And what's interesting too, you said that you graduated as a dietitian in 2008 and you guys didn't learn about the microbiome. Microbiome like research only really became hot and heavy, like around 2009 to like 2012. Right. So this is still a very new science that people are deep diving. It's exploring the universe. It's like exploring the universe. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and we've only been exploring this universe in your gut for the past, what, 15 years, 13 years. I mean, uh, 13, 14 years, like that's not a very long time that we've had a lot of research around this. So anyways, like, but what we have discovered is fascinating and terrifying at the same time, because I mean, we've destroyed the microbiome over the past few decades with the amount of antibiotics we've thrown at it. Right. And now we're going whoopsie. Oops. Like we didn't realize it was that important. And it's like, yeah, it is. It modulates immune function. It modulates inflammation. It modulates weight. It modulates so many brain health, peptides, you know, serotonin levels, dopamine levels. Like this is an organ system in your gut that we are destroying left, right, and center. And so, um, so yeah, I love that you've brought in gut health into this metabolic ecosystem equation. It's brilliant. Megan, is there anything else you want to say as we wrap up this ecosystem? Well, I think I just want to say that, you know, some people will hear this stuff and think, well, what's the point? Okay. I'm overweight. My microbiome is screwed up. Look at the rat study. This is is hopeless. And if what I would just want to say to that would be, it's really the opposite. I mean, we actually have so much power and control over our bodies. Knowing this knowledge, it's giving us more power. I hope people will listen to this and actually feel empowered that they can go out and Mm -hmm. change. Start focusing on the things that you really, truly can control. And then go look at, you know, maybe you need to go and get a gut mapping done. I don't know if you guys do that. uh, We do it, but there's plenty of places that you can go and take a look and see what you've got going on in your gut. And you can heal 100%. I love that. And I love this saying of like, if you created this hell, you can create your own heaven, right? Like we got ourselves here with every choice of every day. Now that we know better, we can do better. You know, they didn't teach us this in school. So let's give ourselves a lot of latitude and a lot of compassion and be like, oh, I didn't know any better. Okay. Now I know better and I can go and practice doing better. And, you know, like we are these co-creators of our health. And so let's, we co-created this ease in our bodies and now we can go and co-create health and healing. And so it's, I love that you gave listeners, you know, that message of hope. There is always hope healing happens. And so this is a really beautiful roadmap. Thank you. Megan, how can people find more of you? Do you have things coming up like workshops that that people are doing? Yeah. So you can find me, I'm Megan, the dietitian on Instagram. My program that runs about six times a year is called Metabolism Makeover. And we have an Instagram account for that too. So the Metabolism Makeover. And we have one more round of Metabolism Makeover this year, which will be end of September. I can't remember the exact date at the moment, but through throughout the most of October. And then of course, again, in January, and we always do a big Black Friday sale as well. But that's essentially, it's a 30 day, like 10,000 foot view 
of this metabolic ecosystem. And you get check-ins with other cool dietitians. And then after that, we have ongoing support for you as well. I love that. You guys will put all of this in the show notes as well. Also information about Gina's conquering cravings and mastering your blood sugar. Like you guys, we have these brilliant dietitians that are here to teach us what they know and how we can also become, you know, experts in our own bodies and our own healing. And so ladies, thank you so much for sharing with us your wisdom and your knowledge and trying to better the world with great (laughs) information from cool dietitians. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Listeners, thank you for being here. We adore you guys and we will catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Gutsy Health Podcast. 